Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Scarlet Nation podcast. Today, I have someone who is very special to me. It's someone who has been part of the ScarletNation.com website for a long time, also part of the Rutgers basketball community for a long time. That's Brian Kelly, Rutgers Pharmacy Class of 94, I believe, president of the court club for a long time. We'll talk about that in a second, as well as a longtime season pass holder, someone who I always look for as soon as I enter the rack. I don't feel... My day is complete until I locate him. I play my Where's Waldo game with him. Brian, thank you so much for being on the Scarlet Nation podcast. Happy to be here, John. Well, Brian, um, let's first get back to that. Was I right on Pharmacy Class of 94? Uh, absolutely correct. Uh, Pharmacy 94. Uh, it was a, a, a lovely five years there, but I don't want to go back and do it again. So we'll stick with Pharmacy 94. That was a lot of time on the Bush campus, correct? It sure was. Actually, most of my time was on the Bush campus. Very little spent away from the one building, actually. I'm sure we spent a lot of time on the same buses, too, then, because I was on the Bush campus myself, though far from the pharmacy department. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, Brian, yes. how long have you been president of the Rutgers Court Club? Uh, uh, just finishing my uh, sixth season as president. I uh, was membership chair for an additional eight seasons prior to that. Brian, I always, when I'm talking to my friends about Rutgers sports, I always say we need more Brian Kellys. We need people like you who are going to help mobilize the fans. We need people, of course, like Ron Garuti. For those of you who don't know, he's the gentleman who donated, he and his wife, $1.25 million to revamp the football weight room, among other things. But it's that mobilization of fans that this fan base needs, and I believe where they pale in comparison to other fan bases so talk to me. Let's get started. I just want to know how you went from a guy in the stands like the rest of us to somebody who really is doing their part to help promote Rutgers basketball. Well, that's a, a long story. I'll try to give you the condensed version. It really started, um, you know, back when I was in college. Um, I was in college from 88 uh, to 94. I took a, a to take a semester away from uh, campus. But during that time, uh, we experienced a, a kind of a renaissance for Rutgers basketball. We had two tournament appearances, the uh, two NCAA tournament appearances, the last two that we've actually had, a couple of NIT appearances as well. So I really, when I was in school, I, I got the experience that, you know, the, the Michigan State fan has, that the uh, the Syracuse fan has, where, you know, we were making tournament appearances and we were a player in, in Northeast basketball. Um, and from that, you know, years passed, uh, I had season ticket holders, but uh, season tickets, uh, for a long time, uh, but really, when I got involved with Scarlet Nation uh, as a as a writer, I was doing game previews and things like that way back in the day. Um, is when um, the actual basketball program uh, coaching staff at the time actually took note of that and was reading the stuff that I was writing. And from that, we developed a relationship. And um, from there, a chance encounter at the Pittsburgh airport when we, when my wife and I, uh, were out for a game, uh, we ran into the team at the baggage carousel. And the rest is kind of history. Uh, we started the road trip thing, and uh, from that, the, you know, grew out of the, the the court club. And I was asked to become president. And once we did that, uh, it's kind of all been downhill from there. So it's been a, a it's been a, been a great ride, and uh, I wouldn't trade any of those things for for anything. There, it's really been it's been a huge part of my life for such a long time. You mentioned the road trips. How many games have you been to away from the rack? Oh uh, well, let's see. I've missed. We missed three this season because I was changing jobs, uh, not not to be helped, unfortunately, and one last season uh, because I was ill. Uh, but prior to that, it had been 13 consecutive seasons without missing a game played. 
so, and then, you know, you count the rest of the games that we actually made. So I missed four games in 15 years. And then that's, that's, that's not an exaggeration in any way, I promise you. <laughs> Talk to me about your wife. Is she completely on board, half on board, or are you dragging her? No, no, she's uh, 100% on board. Uh, she actually watches more basketball than me. Uh, uh, she's always watching a game on TV, whether it's uh, a Big Ten game or a Big East game or whatever happens to be on. Uh, if I'm not around, if I'm at work, she's plopped in front of the TV uh, telling me what's going on with the text messaging and all that stuff. So she's 100% on board, and she's just as smart, uh, as much of the success with the core club as uh, anyone else has been. So. Uh, kudos to her, and I, I really couldn't have done any of that stuff uh, without her. We're definitely a team in that regard. Well, I want to open this up to questions from the fans on the ScarletNation.com message board. One fan asked, his name is Philofans, he says, how long does it take for various players and coaches to warm up to you since you're not part of the team in an official capacity, but, of course, part of the court club, booster club? Well, the court club has helped. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is sort of lore at this point. Uh, you know, after we got past Gary, uh, Gary Waters, I mean, I was with them very closely for, uh, you know, basically the entire duration of their stay here. Uh, and, you know, when Freddie came on board, um, you know, there was a, a warming period. Freddie's approach was completely different to how he ran his program uh, compared to Gary. Uh, and then at that point, you know, when you're sticking around that long, people start to take notice. And at that point, um I was involved with the court club a little bit more. I hadn't become president yet until Mike Rice uh, was the coach. And uh, basically it's, it's just uh, being there, earning the trust of the coaching staff and the players and, and uh, being able to be trusted with certain information and certain procedural things that go on uh, that, that earns that respect. And it's been difficult with five coaches and three conferences and uh, multiple athletic directors and staff constantly changing to develop those relationships, but it is something that uh, we've been able to do uh, just through dedication and, and support of the program. Uh, That trust is not something that um, goes away, thankfully, uh, because people are talking about the good things that you're doing and, and they know that uh, the team knows that we're on their side, no matter what happens. Which of those coaches was most enthusiastic about the court club? I know they all have their, you know, their pet projects, things that they're interested in. Some are more into the fan experience than others. Which one did you yeah. feel really, quote-unquote, got it in terms of uh, networking with the court club? Well, the real renaissance with the court club happened uh, after Mike Rice's first, at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, happened after Mike Rice's first year. We hadn't really done much for the for the program at that point, and I, I, I was just going into to the whole presidency thing. And uh, I sat in, in at um, Coach Rice's desk in, one day in June, and, uh, I was pretty much told what we needed to to accomplish for the club to continue to be around, essentially. And, um, you know, once we got there and we earned that respect, Coach Rice was phenomenal. I mean, he has uh, such a passion for what he does, and I know what happened happened, and we're not going to go back and revisit that, but I still count Coach Rice as one of my friends uh, to this day. I ran into him over the summer, uh, last summer, and um, – you know, he, he was really the most passionate. Of course, you know, Coach Peichel is, is running on him fast, though. Coach Peichel is all about what we do. He loves the fans, as you can tell by watching him after a game, before a game, at practice. Come on by, say hello. They're always going to take care of you. Um, he's really right there. But, you know, uh, in, in my heart of hearts, I know that I wouldn't be talking to you right now if it weren't for Coach Rex. Oh, that's great. So here, I want you to now think about all the coaches that you've worked with 
since you've been president and then even before when you were working uh, you know in a low, in a different capacity with the court club if you were to make a frankenstein excuse me frankenstein type conglomerate of all of those coaches what traits would you pull from each so just pick each guy t- tell me what you'd pull from him if you were trying to make the ultimate college basketball coach all right interesting that's a good question um, I think we're going to start with uh, with Coach Rice's passion. I mean, you know, he really, really uh, went after it day in and day out. Like, um, you know, he wouldn't let you be down. He was always a guy that his energy was just nonstop. Uh, I think Coach Waters, from a, a, a relationship standpoint, developed uh, long-lasting relationships with his players. And, and uh, you know, I still talk to, to Gary once in a while and, and Coach D all the time. Uh, from that era and um, you know, from a relationship, from a program building point of view, I think uh, Gary was right there. I think Freddie, Freddie's strong point was recruiting. Um, So, you know, you would add that into the mix, you know, Eddie, Eddie could coach offense like nobody else I've ever seen. We got plenty of open shots when Eddie was here. We just didn't do a whole, whole lot else. Right. Unfortunately, I'm not sure how much of that was his fault. And, you know, coach Peichel, we all know about his defense, but coach Peichel bleeds Rutgers. This is his job. This is where he wants to be. And when all of those rumors came up about UConn, I kind of just snickered to myself. I'm like, coach, coach isn't going anywhere. Coach loves this place. There's too much going on here. So I think that would be that would be the way I would handle that question. I think. All right. Now, if you were to take some of those traits, I don't even I don't even have I don't know where I'm going with this question, but maybe prioritize them. I'm not sure. For what it takes to win at Rutgers, what combo of traits? is needed to get Rutgers to that next level? Because you saw Rutgers winning at a higher level. I was still a senior in high school the last time they made an NCAA tournament. But what is it that, what, what is it going to take from a coach to get them to that next level? Well, uh, you know, uh, the obvious answer is recruiting. Um, but you have to know what you're doing once you get the kids as well. So that's what, um, you know, there also needed to be an investment made in the program, which I think, Rutgers has, has done, you know, more than I could have ever imagined, you know, the building a practice facility. They went out and allowed Coach Buckle to hire the best staff that he could find. Um, he's keeping all of those guys together. They're prioritar- uh, prioritizing strength and conditioning, uh, academic support. All of that stuff goes into building a program. And, um, you know, we've had bits and pieces over the years, but, um, it, you know, Gary had it rolling for a little while with Quincy, but you know, the support was never really there from a, an administrative level. Uh, fundraising wasn't there. The program was kind of an afterthought uh, for a little while as, you know, Coach Ciano got the football team rolling. And then, you know, winning winning needs to happen as well. So I, I think, um, all told, I think Coach Peichel has an opportunity here to really turn this into a place that is a force uh, on the basketball scene. Um, all of the pieces are there. He just needs to get the kids, keep the staff together, and the, the commitment from Rutgers is there. So that that really is the big part. Uh, so this entire picture, you can you can recruit kids and you can have the best program in the world, but if the administration isn't supporting you with facilities and dollars, uh, all of that really doesn't doesn't mean a whole lot. You may have some success, but it won't be lasting. Gotcha. Well, let's get back to questions from the fans. This is Big East Phil message board. Poster, he says, what has been Brian and Janet's biggest thrills and disappointments as RU superfans? Biggest thrills and disappointments? Well, <laughs> uh, we're always disappointed when we lose, but I don't think I don't think there's ever a, a really a true disappointment. I mean, we've had some heartbreakers and, 
and things like that. But it's never really just about basketball uh, when we when we go places. Like, uh, I don't like to see um, the major hits that the program has taken over the years with the scandals and the, and all of that stuff. That's that's the real heartbreaker to me because, um, you know, those types of things, you know, tear at my very fiber as a as a fan. Like, you know, it's hard to believe that things like that are possible in the programs that you love. But, um, you know, I, I just – every time this program takes a step forward, it warms my heart just a little bit more. And I think Coach Peichel is doing that more successfully in his first two seasons, building the foundation that, that needs to be built. And uh, it, so it won't crumble. It won't go away after a season. He's getting higher-profile recruits. The practice facility is going up in front of our eyes. Those types of things that really, really put the foundation down, that's where we need to be, and, and that's really what I'm most proud of at this point. His next question is, he goes, are you happy with the Big Ten, and what do you miss most about the Big East? I think about this question all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I Well, look, from a football point of view, I, I don't know how anybody – I mean, just this is my point of view, of course. Uh, being in the division that our football team is in, uh, that that's just tough for me to look at substantial gains being made there in the short term at all. But that's another topic altogether. That's uh, Coach Ash's um, situation. Basketball, I think, is definitely a situation where we can improve. I don't like the non-regional part of it. I mean, uh, I don't really have any affinity to playing Nebraska or Iowa or places like that. I mean, you know, that's just another place to play. In the Big East, things were an event. Like when you went to a Syracuse game or you went to Villanova or you went to Georgetown or even St. John's places like that. I mean, you know, that was Northeast basketball. That was rough and tumble. It doesn't feel that way in the big 10. It's something that's growing on me though, because the, the places in this league that we go to play are just, you know, meccas. So um, not that the Big East teams weren't the Big East programs weren't, but it's just a different feel. The Midwest has a different vibe. It's definitely something that takes uh, a little time to get used to, but it's I'm, I'm I'm growing on the Big Ten. Let's just put it at that. I need to hear more about that though, because I have not traveled around to the Big Ten, you know, schools, and I I don't know what it's like to attend a Big Ten basketball outside of basketball game outside of New Jersey. Can you just sure. explain a little bit about you know I know what you're talking about when you talk about watching a Big East game, particularly years back. Talk to me about right now. What's the difference? All right. Well, um, the, we're, uh, the only way I can reference this is to go back to the former Big East. The former Big East with, you know, the, the giant league had, you know, uh, all of your teams were in northeastern, fairly large cities, Boston, Pittsburgh, New York, Philadelphia, D.C. I mean, if you even want to go out to Miami, you can do that. Um, places like that. I mean, big city, big city feels and and their basketball was very slick. Their presentation was very slick and intense. Their fans were always very intense. The 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 Big Ten schools are by and large away from the larger cities. Uh, you know, to get to Michigan State, it's in Lansing, which is the state capital. But to drive there, you wouldn't know that. Um, you know, places like Bloomington, Indiana, and West Lafayette, there really isn't a lot going on there. But somehow, their college atmosphere is just so impressive. It's something that if you only go to a game at the rack, you'll never really understand. You have to go there and experience it. And it really, for those people out there, they, they probably take it for granted. Uh, Being a casual observer, I just, it's very impressive the way they love their basketball teams. There's not a lot else going on out there. So it's easy for them to do that. 
we have constant distractions with the professional teams and the other college teams in the area. So Rutgers may never have that uh, hold over the public. Uh, but to, to go to Bloomington, Indiana, and watch that place um, with a packed house, watch the game, um, is just something that you have to experience to understand. Gotcha. Next question. Which player do you feel most exemplified what you view as a Rutgers man? Uh, on the current team? All of your time following the team. <laughs> you, you, can, you, can pick the, you can pick the current team if you want to. but Okay. Well, I mean, I'll give you one in the past, and I'll give you one on the current team. Right now, the, the current team would have to be Mike Williams. I mean, Mike Williams, I know he's a graduating senior, but that young man has gone through so much and and persevered and stuck stuck with the program and and um, it just has the heart of a lion the way he plays we will sincerely miss that next season uh, regardless of who he's replaced with um, uh, you know Mike and you know I'll even give you another one I'll go with Eugene Eugene Omarui is is just a kid that uh, if you haven't fallen in love with him uh, you should do that now because that kid loves basketball. He's just scratching the surface, and he gives everything he has every minute that he has a uniform on. Uh, it's just something to be very proud of. But going back a ways, I mean, I can give you – I can probably give you 100 names, but the most obvious one and the guy that's most dear and, uh, near and dear to my heart is Quincy Doobie. I don't, I don't know that there's a, a player that you can point to in the last 20 years that's had a bigger impact on the landscape of Rutgers basketball than that young man. He was recently inducted into the Rutgers Athletics Hall of Fame, which was an amazing thing for him. Still playing professionally, just got married, had a small child now, uh, living in Miami, living the life. So uh, I'd go with Quincy, uh, although I could probably give you another 15 names that would be just as just as impactful as in my from my point of view. All right. Next question. Where is Rutgers basketball right now in terms of the rebuilding process? Uh, you're still. Well, let's see. To me, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more improvement in the wins and losses considering the out of conference schedule that we had this year. But I honestly, I think we're right on track. Now, a lot of this depends on Corey Sanders coming back or staying. I think we have an opportunity if Corey stays to take a huge leap ahead next year uh, with uh, the guys like Montez is coming in and Ron Harper coming in and, and the big guy and, and whoever else we're, we might add uh, moving forward. But um, you know, looking at next year, I think is the year where you really want to see the tests on the road uh, that we're going to have in the non-conference with UMass and Fordham. They're not great schools, but we we need to play those road games. We'll be back in the in those two challenges again, and and it'll be an opportunity for us to really take a step forward. But right now, we're laying the foundation. I would have liked to see a few more W's. Injuries had something to do with that, but I think we're right on track. I think Coach Pleichel has us right where he wants us. And, uh, you know, you see it at the end of the year when, when our team, by all rights, should be quitting. We're playing our best basketball in the tournaments. And that's just a testament to Coach Peichel and his program and, and how, how much these guys have bought into what he's selling. If you're going to put a deposit on your NCAA tickets, what year would you buy them for? Uh, let's see. It would be 2021, I would think. All right. Now, if Sanders stays next year, outside shot of postseason play? Outside shot. Outside, postseason play for sure. Uh, I would think that if Corey stays and the freshmen are as advertised and we see the expected uptick in, in guys from uh, like uh, Gio, you know, Gio just, I, in my opinion, I think he kind of hit the wall a little bit towards the end of the year. Uh, uh, he physically wasn't prepared to play the Big Ten season all the way through, and that's not his fault. Um, that's just the way it happens with freshmen a lot of times. And 
Um, I, I expect Mamadou Dukour will have uh, the opportunity to really learn and improve. And, and um, you know, those guys added to Corey, added to the talent coming in. I really think that there's an opportunity there to get that monkey off your back and get that winning season and not just be 16 and 15. I'm talking about 18, 19 wins if, if things break right. So a lot of it depends on the schedule and injuries and things like that. But that's that's the next step, become a winning program. And I think that's where we'll be next year. Now, I have to give a shout out to our Unite for Life because he's a message board user who asked about Sanders and I didn't give him credit for that. But uh, our Unite for Life, we love you. Let's go on to the next question. Um, let's see. I'll look down the list here. The team possibly loses Corey Sanders along with Candido Sa, Mike Williams, and Deshaun Freeman. Of those players, whose loss will be felt the most? Well, I mean, if, if Corey goes, it's, it's you know, it's got to, that answer is Corey. But if we're going to pick one of the other three, um, you know, I think you saw Deshaun's role kind of diminish towards the end of the season. Uh, I'm not really sure why that was. He certainly wasn't injured, but, um, you know, sometimes seniors just, you know, kind of fade away, although he had a great tournament. Um, you know, I, I was glad to see that Eugene stepped up and, and took that role on his shoulders, and I think you may see him be be a starter next year. Uh, but I, I'm going to say Mike Williams just because he's the heart and soul of the, of the team, and and he does the little things that people don't even notice unless they're watching game film in a certain way. And and uh, it, in my opinion, if you're going to set Corey aside for his obvious impact on the game, I, I got to say it's going to be Mike Williams that we're going to miss the most. What can you tell me about transfer guard Peter Kiss as well as freshman forward Miles Johnson, who's redshirting this year? Okay, so Pete is a guy that um, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't all that impressed with when I first saw him when he joined the team in July. But as the season went along, uh, it was very obvious that the, the role he's going to play is going to be toughness. Uh, he has an edge to his game, not, not in the way that uh, – I hate to even make the comparison to Grayson Allen because I don't know about that from a talent point of view. but And I don't think that Pete's a cheap shot guy, but he plays with a little bit of an edge, uh, which is good. I think Coach loves that. I, I know he's going to give you everything he's got on defense, plus the kick can make some shots. And, and we really need some offense on this team. I think that's what his role is going to be. I don't know if he's going to be a starter necessarily, but he's definitely going to have a huge role in the team. A guy with some experience at the Division One level, you can't discount that. Uh, as far as Miles goes, Miles uh, needed the red shirt. He was a little, a little soft and uh, had come off an injury uh, his junior year at high school. Uh, but by all reports, uh, he was the best big man on the team uh, towards the end of the season as he redshirted and developed and got stronger. Um, he's got a year underneath of him, uh, another strength conditioning summer. I think Miles may be your starting center uh, going into next year. Wow, that's interesting news. I want to. Yeah. Continue along the same line then and start talking about these incoming freshmen. I know that's not your specialty. I know you're not following recruiting as much as you follow the current team. Not as much, but once they sign, I kind of pay attention. So, Well, in terms of just opportunity and potential impact, when you look at Montez Mathis, Ron Harper Jr., uh, Shaq Carter, where is the most opportunity for one of them to step forward? Well, I I think you – the obvious answer, well, I, I think Ron Harper's a little bit further down the depth chart. Uh, I think Ron's a, uh, Harper's a depth guy at this point, um, similar to the way Eugene was perhaps his freshman year uh, in that role. Depends on what he can provide for you offensively and what kind of shape he comes in at. Uh, I, I expect that both of those will be up to par. I, you know, I, I see a lot in his game that uh, I hadn't seen previously. He really had a nice uh, close to a season uh, in the in the playoffs there. Uh, but you know Montez is a gifted uh, gifted player. He's um, 
Uh, he's an offensive player that has defensive skills. He's a great athlete. Um, I, I just think he's a great teammate as well. Uh, that's that's the, the rep, and uh, he's going to be a, a plus player for sure, uh, possibly even a starter, depending on what happens with Corey. So uh, just keep that in mind. I think that's the expectation there. And, and you know, Shaq, Shaq's got an opportunity to step right into, uh, right into Deshaun's shoes. Deshaun started almost the entire season until the very end, and there's going to be a competition there w- between he and Eugene for that starting four spot. Um, he's a bigger guy than Deshaun. Uh, he's more athletic than Deshaun. You know, Deshaun never really was healthy here. His knees were bad uh, for a lot of the time. Uh, you can see it. A lot of his explosion at times wasn't real strong, although when he when he dunks, he, he certainly is impressive. Uh, but Shaq's got an opportunity to come in and start. And I think if you're a junior college player coming from that level of play at a Big Ten program, I think that's all you can ask for from that guy. So uh, I haven't seen as much tape on him as some of the others, but I'm expecting uh, a starting level player to be coming in uh, at the four position when I'm talking about Shaq Carter. That'd be great if Montez Mathis and Shaq Carter can come in and you know get some serious playing time right from the start. That's definitely going to help the team. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any question that that's going to happen unless one of them, like you say, you know, barring injury or some other unforeseen thing. I, I think that both of those guys come in and could potentially play starting, a uh, play a starting type role on the on the team. Although Coach Michael doesn't necessarily care who starts, he he goes with the guys that are are getting the job done, and and that was very obvious in the way he coached the team this year. So starting may be a moot point, but uh, finishing is is where we want to be. Well, we have another question from KYK1827. He says, what is Pike's offensive philosophy? Uh, well, you know, Pike is a defensive guy. And um, he, he I don't want to say farms out his offensive uh, game, but for lack of a better way to put that, I think that's how it's best described. He really focuses on defensive adjustments and general feel during the course of the game. But his assistant coaches handle the, the offensive end of things and, you know, there's a lot of input there from Coach Pico, of course, but and this is just my take on it. Of course, I'm not in their locker room and I'm not game planning for them. So, um, just an observation that I've made. It seems like, um, you know, Coach Hobbs, Coach Knight, um, those are the guys that are looking at the the team offensively and and trying to play to our strengths. Now, you saw a lot of one-on-one basketball this year. That was our strength, and I I wouldn't expect um, them to not play to that. If you have a guy like Corey. And you have a guy like Gio on your team that can make shots. You have to play to that, especially when you're as offensively challenged as we have been. Uh, but I think um, that Coach Pinkle isn't necessarily an offensive coach, uh, but he's a great head coach. Now, you mentioned the assistant coaches. I'd love to get your I don't know, insight into what these gentlemen bring to the program. You've said before, and I've heard other people say it, that Pike has a great staff of assistants. Just – what can you tell me about some of them on there? Well, I mean, the first thing you look at is, you know, how many of those guys have were head coaches? I mean, there's like a ton of them on the staff. So, I mean, that to me, um, you know, tells me that um, he's not afraid to bring in guys um, that have have run their own programs. And that says a lot about Coach Pico. But and just, not to interrupt you, you know, too much, but on the football yeah. side, that reminds me of Ohio State where – same thing. Yeah, that's fair. Coordinators or um, former you know, head coaches. Right. And, you know, I don't know that it's to the same level here with this program. I think basketball is a different animal. But certainly, uh, you know, that speaks to Coach Peichel's ability to 
um, listen and to adjust and to, you know, obviously coach is, is the head coach for a reason, but when you have a guy like Carl Hobbs, who's made tournaments, coached at high levels, uh, you know, Brandon Knight hasn't done that, but has played at the highest level of basketball, uh, won tournament games, understands what that's like on a big stage. Uh, you know, Jay, Jay Young is just a monster on the defensive end. That man can coach defensive basketball and toughness and all around intensity better than any, any guy I've ever seen. And uh, I know I'm missing someone. Who am I missing? You know, shoes. I love shoes. Shout out to shoes, Patron. He's my guy. Um, you know, his, his recruiting connections uh, when Eddie were here and, and even through now with Corey and, and guys like Deshaun and, and Issa have really paid dividends for this program. Hope he gets to stick around for a long, long time. Uh, but it's just an impressive staff, like all the way up to Steve Haynes. Steve Haynes was a head coach um, before he joined uh, this staff, essentially to be, um, you know, clerical staff. So, I mean, it's just amazing, amazing people, um, really with a recruiting edge that, you know, those guys walk into the gym, see Carl Hobbs walk into the gym, you probably know him. You see Brandon Knight, you probably know him, you, you know. Those guys, like, that gives you such an advantage when you're recruiting players that, you know, you're up against, um, you know, the other Big Ten schools, the Big East schools, the ACC schools. Like, that that helps. And um, that's really the biggest plus in the staff. Those guys know how know their basketball. Their faces are known. People know who they are. Um, that's such a huge advantage. What are the odds that Rutgers keeps its assistant staff intact this offseason? Pretty good. I don't, I'm not aware of anyone looking around, although, you know, obviously I'm not privy to all of that information, but I haven't heard a single rumble about anyone looking around. I think um, they understand what's going on here is, is positive. And uh, the first staff that gets this team to the tournament, if they were looking around for other jobs, we'll, we'll have plenty of opportunities. So um, I, I think that's the ultimate goal here. That's for sure. Last question, Brian, are you chopping Ohio asks, Previously, A.D. Hobbs called the lack of a dedicated practice facility an albatross around the neck of the basketball program. How huge is the practice facility in getting recruits excited about the commitment to basketball that they finally see at Rutgers? Well, I can tell you that that was the, uh, looking back on things, uh, the the one thing that we've always missed is that facility to call our own. Uh, Rutgers basketball really hasn't had an identity for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, having a place like that gives you that identity. It's, it's brick and mortar and I get it. Uh, but it gives you a place to say, this is ours. And, um, this is where we can go to be the best we can be. Uh, it really adds a huge, uh, plus on the recruiting trail when, you know, maybe you're coming off a bad year, 13 and 17 or 15, whatever it was that we were this year, our record was, and you're going up against, um, you know, Maryland and you're going up against uh, Georgetown, you're going, and you can, you can sell that now. You actually have the building going up and you can say, you're going to be here and you're going to be the first team in that building. Uh, you're, you're going to be in on the ground floor when we build this thing. And it's, there's truth to that now. It's not just fantasy. It's not just drawings. It's, it's there. And um, it's enormous. I just can't, it's enormous. I, I don't know how else to put it. It's probably the biggest development in Rutgers basketball. Um, since since I've been a fan, for sure. Well, let's talk about what if it keeps going? Where does Rutgers take it next if they're going to continue building the the facilities? Uh, well, I mean, I think you're looking at at this point if you're if you're going to build this facility, you're you're looking at just improving all around. Like, you know, when we travel to the Big Ten programs, uh, we'll put Michigan out there. Now, Michigan is an extraordinary situation, of course, but you know they have the newest facilities, the best facilities for um, 
the smallest of their programs. Uh, it's it's amazing the places that these kids play in for, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to make light of a fencing team, but let's say Michigan has a fencing team. They're playing in a state-of-the-art fencing arena uh, with their own locker rooms. Their own, and this is, you know, this is, would be a program that would be considered to be low level here, not necessarily a scholarship sport, get any sort of real support. Um, you know, that's kind of where we would need to take this at that point. So football is right there with our facilities. I, I, I love our football facilities. Basketball is getting there. It's going to be another year or so. Soccer, lacrosse, wrestling is going to be involved in the basketball thing. So we're, we're well, going in the right direction. Let's keep just basketball, though. What does basketball yeah. need after what they're building right now? Is there anything else that, you know, inside the rack that you think they need? Uh, I, well, I mean, obviously, uh, I think the long-term view of the rack is to uh, renovate and expand. And there are, you know, once certain other things fall into place, I'm, I'm not really sure that they're out there, so I don't really want to toss them around. But there is a plan to uh, renovate inside of the rack, or at least the thought to do that, um, of, of rearranging some seating perhaps. Um, you know, expanding the lobby a little bit, which is stuff that's been talked about in the previous designs and, and rack expansion and all that stuff. That, that I think, would be the next step uh, in the evolution of Rutgers basketball, although it doesn't need to be immediate. Uh, it would definitely need need to happen so we can stay ahead of the curve. Gotcha. Brian, I want to thank you so much. When we first started talking, I thought maybe we'd talk for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> We're heading on 36 minutes right now. It was wonderful talking to you. I can't thank you for everything you've done for the basketball program as well as scarletnation.com. We're, you know, we wouldn't be the same around here without you. So thank you. I, I appreciate that, John. And uh, I just want to shout out to all of my court club guys that are out there listening. Uh, thank you for all your support over the last six years. And uh, since we haven't talked about it, I'll throw out there. Uh, the court club has been able to raise about $200,000 for the men's basketball program over the last six seasons. They appreciate every penny. And so all the all those of you that have helped me helped us get there, me, my wife, the executive board, and the entire club, I, I want to thank you very, very, very personally. That's great. Brian, thank you again. Everyone, thank you for listening to Scarlet Nation podcast. We'll see you next time.